It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. So my older sister was very, very much into the riders. I think I have to credit her with a lot of my experiences with the riders and stuff too, because she just was so gung-ho, so young. First down. Welcome, everyone, to this week's podcast, and joining me is my regular co-host, Pat, and I haven't seen Pat in a little while, and it's great to have you back. It's been a while. It's good to be back. And Snack Bites Pete is back with us, too. Heath, it's always great to have you on the show. Well, it's great to be back, guys. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. So how's everyone been holding up in this uh, beautifully uh, cold climb that we've been under the last few days? Well, Thanksgiving was a bit different than uh, previous years, pretty low key here, but was safe and we got some turkey into us, so things are good. Leaves are falling like crazy, so looks like uh, next weekend will be spent with a rake in hand. Absolutely. You guys are a little further north. We were about a week behind you in, in leaves dropping, I think, and uh, you know they're just uh, still up on the tree, but a, a couple good winds and they should be coming down after a few cold nights here. But we can't complain. It was a beautiful fall, really. It's been uh, pretty nice except for the wind, and that has really put a chill in everything. We hit, I think, minus six, seven last night. We're going to that again for the next few days. Uh, they talk about the frozen tundra of Green Bay in January. Well, come up here in October and see what it's all about. Let's hope that we get a little bit of summer maybe uh, into November here and, and, and hold off on the big snow because at least we haven't had that yet. The, the dreaded S word. <laughs> yeah, I know there's been a, a couple of years where we've had snow. Last year, we had a, a big snow already at this point. So uh, it can hold off for a few more weeks as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. My brother showed photos from Calgary and snow in the backyard there yeah that's too early yeah our the leaves like he said they're all long gone uh it's been funny the cats have been going outside i didn't know cats would chase leaves but with the wind being up they have just gone crazy in the front yard going after ash and oak leaves all over the place nice lots of good exercise for them i'll try to get them tired so when they come back in they don't attack furniture so anything else uh changed in your lives guys with covid going on any any changes Curling season started um, a week ago and a bit of a different look. There's some new sweeping rules that are taking a bit of getting used to. You're used to jumping in and helping out uh, sweeping a rock, but you can only have one going at a time. So we had to kind of pull ourselves back a little bit and, and uh, try to appreciate the new rules and why they're there. Yeah, it's a different game, isn't it? I, I know we were studying that down here in where I live, in a small town, and uh, we are uh, taking a look at starting up our rink, and unfortunately we had to make the decision that we we're going to just postpone a little bit longer and make sure that we uh, don't incur a lot of the startup costs. You know, if, if we get started up and some reason things get shut down, which here in Saskatchewan, if people don't know, we just got reduced from uh, gatherings of 30 to 15, right? So I think that further scared people off, and we're just... Uh, going to hold off and, and take a look at what things are like at the beginning of January and hopefully be able to open for three months there if things stay calm. And where I am here, it's much the same. Uh, I've been getting emails from the club begging people to play because the team enrollment is way, way down. And then you got this rider on top of it with 30 down to 15. I don't know how in a curling rink you can have 15 people and actually play well that's still uh the 15 is for private gatherings so at this point i think you can still curl i, I know heath you're out there right uh, so i mean you, you can still but i think the concern is if if they limit it anymore 
and also you know in small towns you don't want to take a big fine either right if you go against the mandates of 15 and they do decide that it's 15 on a rink well you can't even get you know two full sheets of ice in with 15 people if people don't know and probably most of you don't is that pat was on our curling team a few years ago heath and i are typically curling together but because of a a torn uh, rotator in my right shoulder. I can't curl for at least another year. So COVID or not, I wasn't going to be able to play this year anyway. Yeah, we're trying out uh, doubles curling this year, so it's a bit of a different format for us as well. Speaking of gatherings, uh, back into the news via Three Down Nation, the Canadian Football League looking at, again, a bubble concept for 2021. It's probably one of about a thousand different ideas that are going around right now in league offices. It's kind of weird to be talking about this since this season's been canceled. Do we have to get back to this right away? But in truth, uh, with training camps coming up in six months or less, you've got to start thinking about 2021. Edmonton is a possible bubble city. I think the NHL playoffs showed that the city of Edmonton can be a successful spot for a bubble city. The thing I guess I like the most about them talking about it already is if they're talking bubble city for 2021, it sounds like they're committed to having a season in 2021. That's the the best news I can hear right now. It would be great to not have to go to a bubble and have people actually in their home stadiums cheering on their home teams, but at least they're forward thinking and getting things in motion to get a season off the ground. In addition, I think that they've learned from other leagues that have gone before them. The leagues that have stayed in a bubble, like they haven't had many COVID cases. And because of that, they've been successful. But teams like the NFL that are moving around, they're having teams that are now struggling with COVID and that's impacting their schedule. In the nine-team league like the CFL, I think if you take a team or two out because of COVID issues, it makes a mess of the schedule. And in our league, that can't happen or, or you may end up losing the season. So I'm glad that the league is looking at this right now. I'm glad that they've taken the time to do the preparation when they have time. And this way they can maybe get the 2021 20, season started. And I think the bubble's the way to go. It, it does feel early, but it only does that because there is a CFL season that would have been played to this point still. Had we been under normal circumstances, we would have been coming down the stretch. So it, it feels a little bit weird that way. But I agree. You may as well start throwing it around and, and finding out what's available to you. The caveat that I would throw out is that Alberta's COVID case numbers tend to be higher than the average, and especially per capita. And if you look at where the COVID cases are coming through, it's that 20 to 29 age group that is just leading the way right now. Do you really want to chance this if a team gets into a situation where they don't obey the rules? What kind of sanctions can you bring against them? Forfeits? What do you do? Some of the other leagues were very strict on people and there were some fines handed out for people that broke the, the bubble rules and you really need to enforce that. Um, so the NFL right now is a prime example of things kind of going wrong. Uh, fortunately, they've managed to get games rescheduled, um, get things kind of back in the mix. But, you know, like you said, a nine-team league, once you lose a team or two, your schedule becomes that much harder to figure out uh, when to play makeup games and all that kind of stuff. Um, the one thing I'm, I'm kind of curious, too, we saw with the NHL playoffs, they had a, a double, a two bubble city format for the most uh, most of the playoff run you know is that something that still is being tossed around by the CFL where they do an eastern bubble and a western bubble um, I guess it really depends on 
on full season or not and, and what the, the format of that season is going to be, but it might be something to consider as well. You know, another consideration that I would throw out there is with COVID, the situation seems to be coming up now that we're moving into flu season and the playoffs are right in the middle of flu season in the CFL. So, I mean, potentially learning from the NBA and the you know NHL who moved through summer is when they finished everything and, and prior to moving into flu season, that's when they're taking things off. So if cases do that rise again and then potentially fall in through summer, it may behoove the CFL to back the schedule up and run a bit of an alternate timeline as well. So you're advocating play earlier when the odds of getting COVID or influenza are less. I, I think so. I mean, if you could try to finish in October as opposed to the end of November, um, you, you know, you're going to move the league then beginning, you know, start of May, training camp potentially even April. But uh, I think you could do that. Again, if you take a, a hub city and you find Edmonton's awfully cold at times, we know, but, uh, you know, I think they, they could run through the spring season and, and potentially avoid the influenza season. The irony is, is that April can be as cold as October. So you would technically go through cold, get into warm, and then come back to cold again. Now, you're not always going to have an October like we're having right now in Saskatchewan where it's so bloody cold. I would love to see the CFL end their season no later than the first week of November at the best of times. But your idea of moving it up a little bit to try to get away from outbreak periods where everyone's sort of claustrophobically closed in, yeah, makes sense. And now's the time to have those discussions, right? I don't think you can wait until right before the league. I mean, they're going to be putting out the new season schedule, I would imagine, come the new year. So, I mean, they, they need to, in the next couple of months, make those decisions now. And Heath brought up a great point, too, about scheduling. If you do have a split where you have a, the East play in Toronto, for sake of argument, and the West play in Edmonton, if the East is going to get in 18 games, that means they have six games per each Eastern opponent. You might get sick of each other by that time. However, in the NHL, sometimes you do play six within the division, I think, at least five. Well, here's the other option. You, you could kind of reduce the season, you know, start at the same time and reduce the number of games. So instead of 18, we go back to 12, 16, you know, whatever, to reduce the time. Because you're right, playing the same team six times, <laughs> ooh, that would be kind of ugly, I would think. You want rivalry, you'll get rivalry. Oh boy, <laughs> would you ever. I, I don't envy um, schedule makers in any of the major sports right now. I mean, I think it's going to be two or three years before hockey and basketball get back to a normal full season and regular schedule. I mean, they're talking January for the start of an NHL season. How many games do they play for next year? I mean, they were they lost about 10 games per team this year. You're starting in January. Do you try to do a full season and push back the start of the next season, or do you reduce it? Uh, basketball is the same way. It's uh, a really tricky situation for, for any of those sports to try to figure out how to get back on track. And maybe it's a it's a question for another day, but do you have to play a full season? There have been some that have argued, especially in the States, that basketball and hockey shouldn't start till January anyway because they're just getting crushed by the NFL and baseball playoffs in the fall. So why not start when it's more logical? Now, of course, they don't factor in what Canada's needs are in this process. Having said that, do you need to play 80-plus games in a regular season when you're keeping two-thirds of the teams for the playoffs? I guess I'm a traditionalist, and I would rather see the sports go in the time zones that they normally go at. 
Um, hockey in summer just isn't appealing to me. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I watched one NHL game. I've watched some highlights on our, our television, but outside of that, I didn't watch regular, you know, regular season and or playoffs in that league. Now, I am a bit more of a basketball fan, and I, I, I did watch some of that, but it still wasn't necessarily basketball season at this time. So I, I, I'd prefer them to try to get closer to being on track. Basketball ended about the time their training camps would have been opening. Mm-hmm. And hockey, not much different. So it's kind of a, a real disjointed feel to watch a playoff game when you think 99% of my life they've been in training camp getting ready for a season. CFL's got to be worried about that too. I think that's probably part of the apprehension about moving earlier, but I don't think they're as attached to that issue because you can move a month and it doesn't seem to matter. It's moving three and four. That's when the trouble starts. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Starting the CFL season at the time the Stanley Cup playoffs are kind of wrapping up isn't as big of a deal as if you're running into that NFL juggernaut that kind of affects things. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty strong argument that you've got a bit of flexibility um, a month earlier to get a non minus twenty five Grey Cup game is uh, is a sacrifice I think I'm willing to make. Um, hopefully, that's something that makes makes sense to the league as well. I think the other side of that would be that um, you know, does it have to be in November now? Right, the people aren't going to be coming to watch, and and whether you know, really, it's only the temperature impacting the players rather than the crowd. Because I really don't see a crowd coming back in next year in any of the professional leagues. I mean, you watch the NFL now; there's scatterings of people in some of them, but I don't see it opening up here in Canada, at least, where we seem to have a little bit stricter guidelines. Unless there's a vaccine or a very very powerful treatment by the end of quarter one of 2021. My guess is at best you'll have 25% audience for any game. And I think that's sort of the axiom I think the NFL has followed in most centers that do allow fans in the stands. Yeah, I think it's a percentage. I know, I think Kansas City for that season opener, they had 13,000 people. The numbers in Miami are a little bit different. The numbers in the other stadiums where they're letting people in. So they're averaging somewhere between about eight and, and 14, 15,000 based on the size of the stadium. Anything's got to be on the table right now because you've got to get your head wrapped around any sort of circumstance. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Second down. Put on your thinking cap and play along with our CFL trivia. It's trivia time. And with those dulcet tones announcing, it is trivia time. Woo! Woo! All right. So I guess we'll try to do this the way we did it last time. Pat, you take a turn. Heath, you take a turn, and we'll go from there and follow through. By by my count, last week we didn't. Well, last week, last time we got together, we didn't do that well, Heath. No, it wasn't our best showing. That's for sure. 
Don will, Don will have our record. He knows these things. Uh, I thought I was sworn to secrecy. <laughs> Just because we went one of eight? <laughs> well, you know, we're going to own one of eight, but here's, here's my suggestion this time, Heath. I think that we should work together on this one so together we can score better than one for eight because if we get a win between us, it counts two points. Okay, I like it. Okay, sounds good. Don, we're going together on this one. All righty. Well, I've got enough ambient uh, clock ticking noise that I recorded downstairs that I can go for up to about a minute, I think, before I run out of uh, my recording. But then, eh, I'll just splice it together, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think you run you run the same you run the same clock time, same clock time, and we'll 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 make sure we make a decision on before the buzzer. In theory, when we started this, this was supposed to be thirty seconds. He, you know how many times we've gone over? <laughs> never. Rarely. Ne never once. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Never <laughs> once. That's right. Heath. <laughs> Question one. A football game between Chicago Bears and New York Giants was played on August the 15th, 1961 in Toronto. The significance of that game was, A, it was the first all-AFL game in Toronto. B, they played with CFL rules. C, NFL was looking at expansion into Canada. D, the game was the first ever to be canceled by threat of lightning. What do you think, Heath? You got any idea? My hunch is they was played with CFL rules. Um, I think going back that, uh, that far into the record book here, I think there's probably some jurisdictional rules that said that it was played in Canada it had to be by CFL rules. You know what, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I, I don't see it being a lightning strike, but uh, to me that makes the most sense. That's our answer, Don. That was... B. I think. B. That was B. They played with CFL rules. B is our answer. All right, and the correct answer is... C. It was a move by the NFL to look at expansion into Canada. Here's the backstory. Top ticket price was $10, which was the most ever charged for a non-Grey Cup game in Toronto. George Hallis of the Bears, who also served as chair of the NFL Expansion Committee, admitted that in 61, the NFL would have 14 teams, an awkward number, and that 16 teams would be more convenient for scheduling. It was suggested that this game was a trial for a possible expansion team in Toronto. Chicago defeated the Giants 16-7, but the paid attendance was only 5,401, handing the promoters a 30,000 loss and effectively ending any NFL interest north of the border. For about 30 years. Until they tried it again and didn't do that well again? Yeah. That was the Buffalo experiment. That, that was. It's nice to know that uh, the CFL is strong in Canada. Absolutely it is. Question two. From 1962 until 1965, the Toronto Argonauts, A, won fewer than 20 games total, B, played an NFL team in an exhibition game every season, C, never lost to Montreal, or D, lost four consecutive East Conference Finals. This is before my time, Heath. I'm going to uh, defer once again. What, what, are you, what are you looking at? It's, it was before your time. It's way before my time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Um, I'm just trying to trying to think of who was in Grey Cups because that four consecutive East Finals 
sounds plausible. It does. Um, and and the Montreal one also sounds plausible. I, I'm I'm I mean I don't see Don throwing two NFL types of questions at us in the same trivia. And I don't think they were so bad that they only won twenty games combined over that span either. So we're looking C or D. Which one do you lean towards? I kind of like the the four consecutive Eastern finals because I know Hamilton was in a few great cups in that span. Um, I believe. Ottawa was maybe in a great cup somewhere around there as well. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards that one, but I'm comfortable with with either one as a guess. You know what? I, I like that one. Let's go with uh, lost four consecutive East finals. And that would be D. Yeah. D it is. All right. And the correct answer is A. Won only 19 games. They were worse than I thought. Wow. Soon after, they started to turn the, the tide and... Uh, we're making the playoffs with Leo Cahill as their coach, and we've had a trivia question about that. We have. Yeah. Question three. British Columbia's 2000, that's the year 2000, Grey Cup win over Montreal in Calgary marked A, the first time they had not defeated Hamilton in the Grey Cup. I hope that made sense to you. Yes. B, the first overtime win by a Western team. C, the last time Damon Allen won a Grey Cup. Or D, the first time a Western team had won in Calgary in a Grey Cup. I know C is out because he won in Toronto with the Argos after that. That one's a no. Can you repeat A and B for us again? A was, it was the first time they did not have to defeat Hamilton to win a Grey Cup. And B is the first overtime win by a Western team. I want to say... B. I, I know there was one somewhere in there, but I can't recall what year it was. That it went to overtime? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. So you're choosing B, the first overtime win by a Western team? Uh, yeah. Okay. And the correct answer was A. Oh. It's the first time they had beaten someone other than Hamilton in the Grey Cup. Cheapers. Mm. They'd beaten Hamilton in 64 and 85, and this was the. The game was 28-26, by the way, for a final score. It could have gone to overtime. Two-point convert was stopped. Somewhat a bit of a controversy whether it was pass interference on the play or not at the end of the game. But mm-hmm. as it turned out, BC, with an 8-10 record, won the Grey Cup. Wow. Not the only 8-10 team to win a Grey Cup. That is true. <laughs> I think that's been a trivia question as well. <laughs> Well, uh, Heath, we need to do better. Maybe two heads are not better than one. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't get this next one. In terms of overtime, Heath, Kenny Plain, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, defeated Hamilton in overtime. Hmm. Just saying. Before my time. Before (laughs) my time. (laughs) All right. Question four. Which is greater? The record most career yards rushing? or most career yards receiving? The rushing total yard record or the receiving total yard record? Which is bigger? You don't have to name the players, just which do you think is bigger? Okay, so we're looking at... Um... I'm going to go rushing. I, I mean, I, I would lean towards rushing because I, I receiving, right? What would you be, 20,000? Okay, let, let's, let's break this down quickly here. All-time rushing is who Mike Pringle and George Reed, basically. Yep. Um, and they are in the probably 12,000-yard range. Then you've got, like, Milt Stiegel, G. Roy Simon, 
Um, those guys, I mean, Stiegel and G.Y. were both around for a long time, so how many thousand-yard seasons did they have? Um, I would lean towards receiving being a higher total. See, I'm, I'm going to lean towards rushing because I, I think receiving, I mean... Uh... Can, can we break apart on this one? Yeah, yeah we're split. That way we're guaranteed. We're, we're hedging our bets on this one. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to get one right. I'm not I'm not doing half <laughs> points. I'm sorry. Oh. Arm wrestle. Well, I guess you can't arm wrestle. Virtually arm wrestle. If you want to each choose a side, that's fine. I, I think we're going to do that. Heath and I are in disagreement on this one. Right, right? So one right. of us will get bragging rights over the other one. One of us will get. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, it will at least be one for eight again. Yeah. Well, no, because you yeah. you join forces, so it'll be I'll I'll be I'll be fair. Point five for four. It'll be one out of four. You're gonna you're gonna be one out of four because one of you had this right. <laughs> the correct answer is rushing. Oh wow! Mike Pringle had sixteen thousand four hundred and twenty-five yards rushing in his career. George Reed right behind him, receiving G. Roy Simon sixteen thousand three hundred and fifty-two. So that's a difference of how many yards? Wow. About 73. <laughs> wow. If only he hadn't have dropped that one. <laughs> yeah, a few callbacks on interference, they could have had that. Oh, my goodness. That's Isn't that ridiculously close? Yeah. That is. You would think there'd be more of a gap, honestly. One out of four. That was a great question. That was a great question. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for letting us play. I'm just glad we successfully named the top receivers and the top rushers in the leagues. <laughs> yeah, you did well. That's awesome. I may have to retailer these questions a little bit. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Third down. Rule changes. Probably the most hotly debated thing in any sport. And heck, let's jump into those murky waters and see what happens. Heath, let's hear an idea for a rule change that you like to see. Okay, my first one is, is kind of a fun one. Um, changes strategy a little bit, and it is no deferred kickoff. You win the toss, you decide at that time. Either you're receiving or kicking or which side you're defending. No, no pushing it off to the second half based on wind, um, score, anything like that. What do you guys think? Love it. Yeah, I don't mind. It's the way it was. I don't mind that. It is going back. And I, I think that would uh, make the decision. You know, you make the decision. You got to decide right now instead of waiting. I like it. The way stadiums are getting closed in in the end zones too, the wind is nowhere near what it used to be. Calgary might be the one exception, maybe. Regina, I don't know. The wind is really a factor because they've got that field below ground level. Hamilton could still have an impact. Yeah, I think it really makes you pay attention to the weather, and you've got to make those decisions right now, right? It's like, okay, we want the wind in this first quarter, and we're going to rack up as many yards, as many points as we can. And, uh, you know, what, uh, what happens after halftime happens after halftime, but we've got to go now. No, I'm I'm good with that one. I I think that would be a great idea, Pat. You know, I'm I'm going to go back to one that happened before too. I I still am a proponent as much as I like the way overtime has been played with the you know you get your opportunities to go in from the the yard line. I still like 
15 minutes of playing the game, right? So I'd, I'd love to see a quarter. Now, I know that's tough on players, um, but I, I just like the original feel rather than lining up and playing it in from a certain yard line. I, I, I'd want to go back to that tradition. Um, one thing I like about the current overtime rules is it, it's fast-paced and um, something happens right now. Um, the thing that you could run into with a, with playing a whole quarter um, in traditional rules is it could kind of bog down and have a whole lot of nothing happening. Um, so I, I like the, the speed at which overtime occurs now. I'm not opposed to the rule change, but uh, but that's kind of my take on it. It would, again, be a throwback to what the CFL used to do, having a full period for overtime. I think I would cut the timeline down to 10 minutes maybe. The NFL, I think, has done that. And I think that would uh, maybe mitigate a little bit the, the player injury issues that could be coming up from exhaustion. The other thing that that makes me think too is that especially when you get into a situation where you have four possessions in overtime, they've tied after the first set of possessions and they come back and they t and they play two more to decide the winner. I wonder if that's almost as much ball handling and ball play that would happen in a 10 minute overtime. May very well be. I'm just thankful that you didn't uh, want to go to a sudden death overtime like the NFL had for so many years. No, I, I, I hate that. Yeah. That one I would never want to see come forward. Never. No, no. There's too many variables in football. And if you've made it to overtime, then each team gets a chance. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm with you. All right. What's yours, Don? My first one, and this is going to be more of a tie-in to college football, and that is... If you're down with the ball, you're down. I've seen it too many times. We saw it even in a Grey Cup where a, a receiver catches the ball, slides in the ground. The defender, to avoid kicking him or stepping on him, jumps over him, doesn't make contact. The guy gets up, and, and I think that's totally unfair. If, if a defender is purposefully trying to avoid injury for either himself or that player on the ground and jumping to get out of the way because feet get tangled and all that sort of stuff, that player's down. End of story. The exceptions would be a low snap on a punt, the holder for field goals, and if the quarterback has to go to his knee to pick up a ball on a, on a dribbled um, snap. So if you're behind center and the ball comes to you and you have to go to knee to pick it up, that's fine. But any other play, if a, if a running back gets tripped up, even if he slips on the ground, too bad. You know, I, I like the fact that you put in the exceptions because without those exceptions, I think it would really take out some of the excitement of the game and three downs, you know, you get a bad snap, you bobble it and you, you accidentally touch down. And I mean, that, that certainly limits the team. Yeah. I, I'm not opposed to it either. I would maybe, my caveat would maybe be not ineffective behind the line of scrimmage that way. Like you know, if a running back slips or if you, you know, toss one out to the, to the sidelines and the guy's got to go down and get it or something like that, they still have a chance to make a football play. But once beyond the line of scrimmage, if they're on the ground, they're on the ground. That is kind of the only the only tweak I would make, but it's uh, it's an interesting rule, and, and I, I like it. I'm open to that amendment. I like that, yeah. I, I just think for injury's sake, and if you're down with the ball, you're down. Too bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to say that I really don't like the grounded player getting back up and running when it's my team on defense. <laughs> uh, one, of the, 
<laughs> my team on offense is one of the best plays in the world. <laughs> but you know what? With with uh, I think John, you hit on a very valid point. With the potential for injury, when you're on the ground, the backside of the ground doesn't give. So you've got people coming in. You're more likely to get a spearing, or you, or the player just plants a knee and gets taken out. I think it, it you know it would be good for the player's health to put something like that in. We see it so many times where a guy gets tripped up and he's pretty much gone to ground and one of these big linemen come in, just finish him down there. And I've never understood why that isn't a late hit. He's not going anywhere now. Yeah. And especially if the rule states that if you're down with the ball, it doesn't matter how you got there beyond the line of scrimmage, as Heath indicated, you're down. You don't need that extra shot coming in. Yeah, like I said, you know, all, all it takes is a one-hand touch the guy when he's down right now. You don't need to come in giving him the whole 250 pounds full speed to make sure he stays down, that's for sure. But we do see it. We see it a lot where a back or a quarterback will slide down and a guy will just haul off and take a cheap one at him to see if he can knock the wind out of him or something. I'd love to see that change. I think the college has it right. Heath. Okay, my next one... Um goes back to the Western Conference final last year. There was a very close play uh, of whether or not Cody Fajardo was beyond the line of scrimmage when he threw a pass. Um, the replay shows potentially he still had a toe on the line of scrimmage when he let that pass go. Uh, my rule is that the line of scrimmage is the plane, and once it's broken, you're over. Uh, much like the goal line, right? All you have to do is be in the air with the ball above the goal line for it to be a touchdown. So why do you get your back foot as your last little bastion of hope to throw a forward pass? I guess the only thing I would come back with is that when you're throwing, you're typically throwing off your back foot. And though your release point may be over the line of scrimmage, you've technically started the motion behind but I get where you're going because if you cross the plane of the goal line with the football, it's a touchdown. End of story. So it's a, it gets into a really, really, really finite sort of interpretation of what happened. Yeah, and it, it kind of is right now too. It's just a different, <laughs> a different finite detail to look at, I guess. It is, and with the replay and all the video cameras and the angles we have now, I think this one is is definitely uh, more likely to be something you could review as opposed to. You know, if, if it's an automatic review from the booth, you you can go do that. When it was real time and you didn't have, you know, the, the technology that we have now for television and, and the high definition, there'd be no way to necessarily make that unless it's absolutely obvious um, and, and to reverse something. I think that might be something that would be worthwhile. And it's not something that happens often. I mean, you, I, you can't really think of a lot of situations where it's been that close, right? Like a guy usually has a pretty good idea of where that line is and lets it go well behind. So it's a, it's a thing that might happen a couple of times a season, but can really, I think, kind of change the, the development of the play and uh, the end result. In last week's uh, Monday, or I guess it was Tuesday night game, between Buffalo and Tennessee, Tannehill actually, at about the seven-yard line, appeared to have stepped over the line of scrimmage when he threw a touchdown pass. The problem in that case was he wasn't near a marker. He was sort of in green space. And no camera was looking down the line at the seven to see if he'd crossed over. And it just begs the question then, how do you apply, as it is right now, how do you apply the rule? And then if you reinterpret it, how do you apply it? Yeah, it, it creates some gray area. I, I see that for sure. But it's just kind of a, 
you know, like I said, if the if the goal line's a plane, why isn't the line of scrimmage the the plane in that situation as well? The logic makes sense. Pat. You know, I, I, I kind of have two others and they're both a little out there. So I, I'm not sure which one to choose, but I'll, I'll send them really quick. I, I love the final three minutes in, in the second and fourth quarter. I'd love to see that actually extended into the first. And, and you know, if, if it's going to be, even if you want to reduce the time, go two minutes on each quarter, right? So that we're running the clock in a different way to give more opportunity for that excitement of the plays and the hurry up offense. That to me is what I love about the CFL. It would certainly change the game and it potentially makes that choice at the beginning of the game different. That would be one that I would talk about. The other one I would throw out is, is totally different. In that final two or three minutes, you know, what, regardless of it, whether that's instituted or not, I'd love to see intentional punts to the end zone count as two points. So you can try to angle out of the, either the back or the side inside those, that time frame. Right, so sometimes we're we're you know facing a, a gale force wind, you're not sure whether you can try a, a field goal. You're down by two points. I think the idea of kicking a punt when you're, you're intentional inside of those three minutes for two points can give you an option. You could get two punts through rather than you know having to march within field goal range if you've got a strong punter. It would change the game totally, but it's out there. I know. <laughs> I I like your. Your four quarters of, of stop time, I, I like that idea. And if it did go down to two minutes, I'd be okay with that because right now you have six minutes of it technically. And if you added the first and third quarter, that would make it 12. So you have to sort of shorten it somehow. So make them two minutes per. I don't think it would make it close to the NFL because the way they run the clock is still vastly different than the way it's done in the CFL regardless. So I don't think that's going to be a big deal. The punt through the end zone thing, I just, sorry, I can't, I can't jump on that boat. <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, I, I told you it's, it's way out there and it would be very different. And, and... I'm going to disagree with Pat on, on giving extra points for a punt as well. But uh, it's certainly, you know, changing, changing the rules on kicking is a way to change offense, I think, in the game as well. My idea, just to, to clarify, my idea would not be that the you know the receiver of the punt can take a knee and give up two points. I don't see that. It has to go out of the end zone, either on the sides or the end, right? So you're actually intentionally trying to angle to the side, which our kickers do, and or or hoof it through the end zone. I, I understand where you're going with this. I just don't know that it it would work because if you're at the 15 yard line and you're trailing by one, you bring out the punter to win the game? Like, it, you normally bring out your place kicker to put it through the uprights, and it's a, it's a either you tie or, a, or you win on that play, end of story. But I guess with the punter... And I, I don't always agree, though, that punters get it further than place kickers do. They, they, they don't necessarily, which, which would make it interesting too, right? You get a win, you shank the kick. You, I mean, again, you're, even if you said... Not the end zone, not the side, but you have to kick it out the sideline. From the 15 to hit that sideline is actually, you know, you have to be fairly accurate, right? Oh, it's, you have to have some skill, yes. Yeah, you do. So just totally different. I thought I'd throw something weird out there. The premise isn't bad. It just, I don't know how practical it is. It would change your kicking game. <laughs> For sure it would. Absolutely it would. But would it change the last couple minutes of a game? That's what I'm wondering. 
Because you in a field goal attempt, you've got sort of the all or nothing in a sense. If you're down by two with a field goal try, you either lose and get the single or you win and you put it through the uprights. With you, What you're saying is have a hybrid where I can still tie the game if I punt the ball out the end zone. And, and maybe, maybe you make the caveat of a certain distance because you're right. I mean, from the 10 or 15-yard line, you don't necessarily want to see a game end like that, right? But if, if you were to say, you know, from the 40-yard line, you know, if, if, if field goal accuracy is a concern, you could still angle it out and you can go either side. I mean, they might put two or three people out there. It, it would change the game. It would make potentially an exciting game. Let's say you've got the ball at the 40 and you have a choice between a 47-yard field goal attempt or if you bring the punter out to pooch it into the end zone, he's standing back at the 52. 50, yeah, he is. He's, he's quite That's far back. That's a 50-yard punt. <laughs> Ask him to go out the side in the end zone. Now, is that in flight or is that could be a bounce? No, I, I think I think it could bounce because then, then the other team's got to put a few more receivers back into the end zone, right? So it, it makes so for... You've got a defender, defender defending the sideline to kick it back out. Yeah. Well, but he said, though, if you catch it, then it's only worth a point. Yeah, if, and you've you've mitigated the two. Yeah. yeah. It has to go out to get the two by bouncer in flight. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I've never thought of anything like that. That's really interesting. And then you can have a team that makes a bad coaching call and gets too many guys back oh, yeah. <laughs> guarding the line. And then all of a sudden somebody, they fake the punt and the guy runs up the middle because there's nobody defending. Well, that, that, would, that would make for an interesting game, right? Like you could fake that. If they're going to put five people back in the end zone, like, I mean, really, you're going to probably place two in the end zone. And, you know, there's, there's still the opportunity for that miss. I, I think you're more likely to miss a snap on the punt than you are on a field goal. I just, I, I remember Wally Buono with this, the BC Lions and using Paul McCallum to try to punt one into the end zone. I think he was standing at about the 47 or the 48, and he got it about two to three yards deep. Well, that ain't going to cut it at the best of times. And he he legged it as far as he could. Yeah, I, I mean, there, I think you'd certainly have to take a look at that. I'm just throwing it out there, you know, just to be totally different. Well, there's nothing wrong with being different. I'm just trying to flesh it out. <laughs> so we've, we've got a rouge. What do we call the uh, the punt deuce? Uh, a deuce. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm not sure what to do. A doozy. It's a, a doozy. doozy, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of two points, here's, here's my thing that I would like to see changed. I think that where they uh, attack the uh, two-point conversion is too close. I think that that should be at the five-yard lines. And the other thing I'd like to see is the point after try not be from the 32, but from the 22. They, they say they want more offense in the game, but what, what are you getting in terms of offense? A three-yard play to get a two-point convert gives you one more point than if you kicked it through the uprights. And probably for player safety and player's health, it would be a lot simpler if you just tried the convert where maybe the only guys that are really charging are the guys at the ends and the rest are trying to just sort of create confusion in the middle. I, I just, I'd like to see that, that I want to see it as a prisoner's dilemma. Go for the two from the five or take the, the, the one point convert, but maybe move it up, kick from the, like the line of scrimmage would be the 15. You'd be kicking from the 22, not the 25, 32 thing. You're still going to miss a few. So do you do you think it would would that just increase people playing it safe and going for the single and not going for the two then? I think so, a little bit. I don't know that. I mean, other than I think Calgary and maybe Hamilton on first 
touchdown would always go for the two, and after that, that's it. They abandoned it. That was they weren't going to use it unless they needed to. So, what did it really gain? I don't know that Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Edmonton, <laughs> Montreal. I can go down the list of teams that didn't bother. Ottawa would try it. Yeah, but I do like the fact that the three yard in, is a, is more enticing to have the opportunity to go for three. It's too close. It's just too close. You're going to have an opportunity to make it, but but I mean, if you make it consistently, great. You're gonna the other team's gotta either score twice as many or get extra field goals if they're not going for the two, right? If, but it's if, only three yards. It's not that much of a challenge. What's the success rate? Well, I think it's around sixty percent, sixty-five. So why wouldn't you go for it? Well, that's the question for the coaches. Like that, that to me is smart coaching. That to, for me is smart coaching. If you're going to well, you have to you have to weigh. If I get 60% of my two points versus 95% of my one points, which nets me more points on, in the long run, you have to kind of figure that out. If I try 10 attempts at the, for two and I get six of them, well, I got 12 points total. And if I make nine out of 10 and the other, I don't get nine, you would say, okay, mathematically, you go for two all the time. Well, speaking as a fantasy player, when the guys get the extra two points, I actually like that. <laughs> 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 well, of course you would like that, but I'm just talking about the people on the field, whether they like that. I just think, I think the five isn't that much more of an ask. Take on as I find the, the two point convert exciting when somebody does go for it. Even if you wanted to move it back to the five, I'm not saying I'm opposed to that, but then I wouldn't make the single more enticing by bringing them in. I think you've got to, you've got to weigh your options. And, and if you're going to make the two point convert more difficult, then I think you've got to make the single more difficult then as well. I think the original intent in changing that rule was to to try to entice people to, to take more risk at, at the two-point convert. And, and to me, I think it's been effective. You can miss a 32-yard single point. You know, I don't know what the success rate is. Is it 90%? Is it 80? But, but I mean, it's not. It, but it still is not as automatic as it was when you're hitting it from, you know, 12. To me, I, I, I like the idea of, of keeping it as it, has changed, or as Heath said, I mean, if you're going to make it enticing, if you move back five, make it a 40-yard field goal instead, right? And, and and see, I mean, that would be really difficult. Then you're more likely to try for five because your, your misses are going to be higher. Yeah, and I, I like your point about moving the, the two-point convert back to the five because it opens a lot more things up. A three-yard play is generally going to be pretty confined, whereas you're back to, to the five-yard line you take a snap and take a three-step drop, and now you're back, you know, on the eight, nine-yard line, or even you play it from the shotgun, and it opens up that whole field, and it, it makes it really a true, a wide-open offensive play as opposed to how do we punch this in from three yards. The other option, I'm going to throw something. I, I'm I'm just thinking out loud here, but if you were to leave the the two-point convert three-yard line with a caveat that if you fail, you're going to lose ten yards on your kickoff. If you want to get more offense, it's going to bring the ball further down the field, which might increase the offense. So you're going to get punished for missing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a choice. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Sorry, no, 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 no. If you're gonna, if you're gonna try and fail, you've already failed because you didn't get any points. I don't think you get a double indemnity where you have to pay by going back ten yards as well. No, I don't, I don't see that. I don't know. I, I just I don't think that two point converts are the way to introduce offense into the into any football league. 
it, it just you're incrementally changing the number not really what you need is more touchdowns you need more ability to score touchdowns I, one of the things i was musing about was getting rid of half the distance to the goal line why why do we cut the field in half once we get inside the 25 if it's a 15 yard foul they stop at the 12 if it's a 10 yard foul at the 10 it, they stop at the five take them maybe don't put them on the one but put them on the two just take them right to the two. Yeah. There, now you're going to get offense. I agree with you on that one. The half the distance thing always bugs me when it's those big penalties too. Um, and same same going the other way. If you you get a, a penalty against the offense for holding or something like that and it takes you back to your own two-yard line, tough. Deal with it. If you don't get out of that hole, that defense is going to create a short porch for their offense to come back at you. It exacerbates the situation if you get caught, and I like that. Just getting back to your, your two-point convert thing, though, I think if we're going to continue with a league that gives up a lot of opportunities for single points, making the two-point convert more enticing changes that math too. Because all of a sudden, a, a team maybe missed, makes two field goals and misses two field goals, and that's worth eight points. And somebody, the other opposition scores a touchdown, you want to entice them to go for that two to tie it, as opposed to kicking the one and hoping to get it back and maybe making a field goal or kicking another single. I think you want to keep that that math problem in everybody's head throughout the game. But I think that math problem is there regardless if you're at the three or the five, because you always hear about by the time the third quarter rolls around, are we down by 14? Are we down by 16? Where, where do you start going for the two once again? You hear it way more in the NFL than you do in the CFL. The same math applies. It doesn't make any difference. That's kind of my feeling about it. And, and football is a very traditional sport. It's changed an awful lot since they've looked at the rules each and every year. And I actually appreciate that because everyone is rooted in that tradition. Sometimes you do need people to think outside the box and push the way things are going in the game, whether that be the coaches or, or you know, in this case, the league by changing the rules. I, I like the idea. I would be interested to see, you know, maybe if people want to tweet us, if they've got different ideas, I'd like to see what, what's out there. Because, of course, as CFL fans, we all have an opportunity to propose those changes out. I can tweet a couple more that didn't make it to air. I'll uh, be the first one to get some ideas out there for you. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. tragedy and triumph you are the foundation of this league now take your place in history etch your name on the gray cup fan base become a part of the gray cup's legacy add your name and raise the cup go to graycupfanbase.ca